please introduce yourself to my listeners. Yes, good afternoon, fight fans. My name is Steve Plover. I'm a professional boxing referee based in the great state of New Jersey. Steve, when did you become interested in the sport of boxing? Uh, Matt, boxing and boxers were always the, the heroes in my home from the very inception. My dad was a huge fight fan. And my earliest memory was I was allowed to stay up on Friday nights to watch the Gillette Cavalcade of Sports that would emanate from New York, from the Sunnyside Garden, St. Nicholas Arena, and other venues in New York. And uh, I used to get a big kick out of uh, watching the fights with my dad at that time. And he would always tell me, he said, son, this is the last vestige of one-on-ones man on man now of course it's woman on woman but back then it was man on man and he says you'll see one of the fighters try to assert his will and skill on the other fighter and uh he said it really is a a real true manly art so i enjoyed it from very very early on oh okay growing up did you have a favorite fighter you know, the, the, the fighter, that that's a great question, Matt. The one that really intrigued me and really got me involved in the sport big time, when I went out after that fight and went to my local YMCA and wanted to begin boxing and started to take lessons, was Archie Moore. Oh, okay. I thought Archie's resilience especially his fight with Yvonne Durrell when he got off the floor seven times to beat this young Canadian uh, fighter. Uh, it was just an amazing... I'll never forget that fight as long as I live. I said, how can this human being continue to get up <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, I, and come back and win? So yeah. That, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. That's what sticks in my mind. And that's what really led me to really become really serious about the uh, our sweet science. Very now, cool. Matt, I'm hearing clicking and so forth. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yep. Okay, go ahead. What was your first job in boxing? My first job in boxing, you want a pro or amateur? Uh, amateur, please. Amateur, my first job in boxing was a timekeeper. Oh, okay. And I was a timekeeper. That was my way in because uh, as a very, you know, I was just out of, just out of high school and um, I got involved locally and my entree was timekeeping and I stayed in that position for a while and then I went to, um, Everything in life, Matt, is timing, and at that particular time, a gentleman by the name of Pat Duffy. Now, Pat Duffy was the coach of the 1968 U.S. Olympic team, and he was based in Philadelphia, and his day job was vice president of Exxon Oil, and he retired from that position and retired to South Jersey in a beautiful city called Summers Point, New Jersey. Oh, yeah, very beautiful. Very, very nice. And he opened up a gym. And now we had the benefit 
of a retired Olympic coach involved in our amateur program, which was affiliated with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to travel to Philly for training when Pat came. And I went to Pat, and he was involved, you know, became involved in our program. And I said, Pat, um, timekeeping is too sedentary for me. Uh, you know, I'd like to get in and do, maybe I can, do, you know, elevate to judge or referee and so forth. And so he put me in the ring, gave me a trial and said, geez, you move very well. And I had boxed very limitedly at, on the YMCA program in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. So I had some concept of what was going on. Never in all intramural, never in any uh, USA boxing. Back then it was called USA ABF, oh. United States Amateur Boxing Federation. And we, we never, I never participated in stage bouts, but local bouts, the YMCA, the Atlantic City PAL, and the Y and the Atlantic City Y would compete with the Pleasantville Y, for example, another city in South Jersey. So he says, uh, you move fairly well. So and he said, maybe we can develop you in that regard. So uh, I transferred from timekeeping to refereeing very, very early on mm-hmm. and trained with him at the, uh, then I switched gyms and became a lifelong member of the Atlantic City Police Athletic Gym, Athletic League Gym, which is still very active today in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Oh, very cool. Yeah. What was your first uh, professional boxing match that you refereed? Uh, In 1982, I was issued a probationary license by the eminent, may he rest in peace, Jersey Joe Walcott, and the commissioner of the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board. It was the boxing commission then. It was in the process of transferring to control board. And I did several bouts uh, on a probationary basis Mm -hmm. at the Tropicana. They called it the Tuesday night at the Trop. Oh, okay. And he would allow me to do a four or a six. The show was on for six years, almost every Tuesday. Oh, yeah. So I could count in the early 80s, in 82, to at least getting in the ring once or twice during the week. My first official bout as a fully licensed referee was in 1984 on a main events card in Tottawa, New Jersey. Oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. It was a Lou Duva show. I worked with the Duvas, and I'll never forget it. It was in Tottawa, New Jersey. And then the very next week, Commissioner Walcott and Chief Inspector Roy Johnson had me in the ring in, uh, in, uh, in Atlantic City. Oh, okay. So you you really went from one end of the state to the other. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So, Steve, you talked a little bit about Jersey Joe Walcott. What was it like for you to work with the, the former heavyweight champion of the world? Well, first of all, you're immediately in awe. Now here, here's a story of how 
career with the Athletic Control Board began. At the same time that I'm an amateur referee, I'm working out almost every day. And for that particular time, I was the prosecutor and or district attorney of the city of Atlantic City, Mm -hmm. being appointed with casinos in 1980. So after my shift at City Hall, I had my gear with me. I'd go over the PAL and work out. And fighters from Philly and around the world literally were starting to come to New Jersey to work out because there was fights almost every week or every other week. Mm -hmm. So they were in the gym, and I had an opportunity to work with major Philadelphia fighters who trained or finished off their training. They'd run the boards in Atlantic City. If they had an engagement, they would come early, and they would get permission to finish off their training at the PAL. So I'm there one afternoon, and this is way back at the inception of casino boxing. Mm -hmm. And the telephone rings, and it's the same extension today as it was, what is that, almost 35, 40 years ago? Yeah. 609-347-5478. Phone rings, and there's extension next to the ring. So nobody picks up. I said, well, you know, we got Pal Center, Steve speaking. Can I help you? The other voice says, um, um, this is Commissioner Jersey Joe Walcott. I said, well, <laughs> I said, there was a what? True story. I said, the Jersey Joe Walcott? He said, yes. He says, is there anywhere that anyone there that can help me? I I said, sure, sir. What can I do? He said, listen, we're at Resorts International this evening, and we're short an inspector. Is there anyone over there that can help us uh, observe the hand wrapping? I said, I can. I said, I'd be delighted. With what time? This is like 3.30, quarter to 4. He said, 5.30, be at Resorts International in front of the casino if they... Casino Theater and ask for a gentleman by the name of Eddie Bunn B-U-N-N he's our chief inspector the rest is history from that evening on while still an amateur referee I became a volunteer inspector with the, uh, the athletic control board and that was in 1980 so while I'm training to become a referee I'm now rubbing shoulders with Frank Cappuccino Rudy Battle Tony Perez uh, various other highline referees that were coming in from New York and Pennsylvania, Tony Orlando Mm -hmm. uh, refereeing and I'm there from that night on I, I was a volunteer didn't accept any funding just wanted to be I didn't want any conflict with my city job right but yet I wanted to be in the presence of greatness and he treated me royally at that I mean you know I was in the presence of the Jersey Joe Walcott his deputy was Bob Lee another terrific guy oh okay Eddie Bunn, Eddie Bunn was Bob became the president of the IBF in 1985 yeah so the the uh, 
I was truly in the, the presence of boxing royalty when I was in his presence. You know, Joe is, um, you know, straight. If uh, I, mean, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen film, but if he saw something at ringside he didn't like or he thought a fight was going too long, he'd bang on the camp canvas, tell the referee to stop the fight. Oh. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was very, very uh, concerned about fighter health and safety, and uh, everyone respected him. But the, he treated me beautifully. He really, really did. So uh, I have nothing but the fondest memories. His chief corner man became the chief inspector of the state of New Jersey in the early 80s and was a legitimate Palatan Indian chief. <laughs> we called him Chief Roy Johnson. Palatan oh. Indians. So there's, there's just story relayed and parlayed to stories. So you're, 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 I'm in with people that were in Joe's corner when he fought Joe Lewis for time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, it's incredible because he kept his team intact. And uh, as I said, he brought his chief cornerman, if chief second, became our chief Jer New Jersey inspector. And his name, is, again, was Chief Roy Johnson, a terrific young gentleman. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> you, you got the right guy. If you need a story, ask me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Steve, over the span of your career, you've refereed over a thousand professional boxing matches. Please tell us about what your most memorable experience in the ring was. Well, I think the most memorable experience was because, you know, everything, as we said, Matt, in life is timing. Mm -hmm. And this particular event, it was, of course, a fight, but it became an event and then it became the first aspect in the in the minds and thoughts of many people of a city healing and a country beginning to heal. Mm -hmm. And that fight was Hopkins Trinidad. Oh. And that fight was the first major event after the devastation of nine eleven. Oh right, right. Um I had received that assignment at uh, mid-August from the New York State Athletic Commission. And at that time, the commissioner was, became the commissioner of police. At that time, he was an acting commissioner of the boxing commission. I believe it was Ray Kelly. Oh, His Ray staff Kelly. notified me and said, oh, my God, what a, you know. Uh, at that time... Uh, Felix was undefeated. Bernard was making a lot of noise out of Philly. And it was Don King's middleweight tournament. Mm -hmm. And it was garnering a lot of attention. William Joppy fought in that tournament. Uh, a lot of major middleweights had fought their way. And it was um, Felix and Bernard were the finalists. And then, of course, the fight was scheduled for September 15th. 2001 in Madison Square Garden which was already sold out right and then the devastation comes and everything closes down and 
after several meetings and thought-provoking sessions, all involved, the city, the promoters, all involved believe that uh, 18 days was sufficient and they all agreed that the fight could go on, I believe it was September 29. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Bernard caused a lot of ruckus by throwing down the Puerto Rican flag and, you know, being Bernard, yep. whatever, with the executioner. Tito always maintained his class and dignity, and the Puerto Rican, the very, very excellent Puerto Rican population of New York was just up in arms, and the event was sold out. And going into the garden it was just the, the feeling was just incredible You, it was an aspect of healing Don King put one ringside section aside and that was left open for first responders and survivors who felt strong enough and well enough if they wanted to come out and begin the healing process. Oh. So that one section of the ringside area was placed, and it was pretty, uh, there was, it was uh, every place was packed. Mm-hmm. And Don's first gesture is that he gave a fire apparatus to the lower Manhattan fire station that lost uh, an apparatus during the the, the, the uh, devastation. So that ceremony took place, and then when the Irish tenor sang the national anthem, you could hear a pin drop, and I had to pinch myself. Mm-hmm. The hair stands up, the back of your neck, and I said, "Steve, you got to be ready. You know, you you know, they're going to ring the bell in a few minutes here." Mm-hmm. And there's an instance where the fight lived up to all the pre-fight hype. It was a tremendous event, and Papa Trinidad and I decided at the same time to stop the fight, which was mid-round 12, Mm -hmm. and it was a tremendous, tremendous fight. Uh, Bernard Bernard was on that night. Tito gave everything he had, and lesser men would have fallen much earlier. He was 40-0 and 0 when he walked into that ring. Yeah. An incredible record. And uh, Bernard just warmed down and stopped him, I believe, mid-12. So that stands out because of the... It, it's been said in many, many uh, journals and in conversation that that was the first step toward the healing process of the city of New York and of our country and to be considered to play some role in that type of an event both a great fight an event and a historic event is very very special and very very meaningful Um, from a second perspective from a personal perspective even as a a veteran official Mm -hmm. uh you need sometimes to be noticed for the perfectly right reason in our game. And that happened to me. Listen, I'm not complaining. I 
stayed busy. I was active. I had tremendous work uh, through the early 2000s. And then I get the opportunity to work Taylor Pavlik One in oh, Atlantic yeah. City. And uh, Kelly is an undefeated middleweight, ch- middleweight challenger. Mm-hmm. Challenger. And Jermaine, I, I don't think he, I think he was an undefeated champion. Yeah, I, I think he was undefeated. Right? Yeah. And uh, Kelly brings 10,000 Ohioans and he sells out. Other than Tyson, uh, one of Mike's shows, it was the highest se- selling and highest attended a fight in the Atlantic City Boardwalk Hall. And in that fight, Kelly gets hit with a massive left hook in round two, goes down, gets up, and he's a whisker away from a stoppage. Yeah. And it's early, and I said, my God, I'm right on his shoulder, and I can feel the wind from the shots, Jermaine shots. That's how close. Because I said, the next one he's done, he manages to survive. And he regains his strength, even in late round two. And he starts to regain in three, four, five. And he's coming on at six. And at seven, he catches Jermaine in a corner. And catches him with a double right hand, and Jermaine is out before he, he hit. I caught him. He didn't oh have yeah. Hit the ground. So that fight becomes the fight of the year. It becomes the photo of the year, the stoppage, mm-hmm. and it garners a whole lot of attention and a whole lot of articles. For example, they said. Um, what was the difference in this non-stoppage in two and the stoppage in seven? Well, it was night and day. Yeah. Kelly never lost his presence. Jermaine was out. Mm-hmm. And then they said there was articles in ring. What happened? What would have happened if Steve Smoker called out sick on that night? You know? <laughs> because they said that only two referees would have allowed Kelly to continue. Steve Smoker. And Tony Weeks, because Tony was still in the shadow of Corrales Castillo. Mm-hmm. He let, you know, it's the, the, these fights that you, you you try to allow the fighter every bit, they turn they turn into your classics. You're right, your Steve. Daddy Wards, you know, you have safety as always your concern, but you want to you don't want to take the drama out of the fight either. So if you feel a fighter can come back, that's, to me, the essence of refereeing. Judgment and movement. Give the fighter every chance to decide the outcome. And in this instance, I was lauded by many, many media outlets for uh, allowing the fight to continue in two. And there was, you know, the man was out in seven. You know, it didn't take a genius to stop it. Right. But it jump-started my career. And, uh, and also, I gained, a, I gained a license in Oklahoma. I had never refereed in Oklahoma before, and I was invited out to become licensed in Oklahoma. Then I become licensed in Missouri, 
I'm an East Coast guy. Yeah. And I find myself now in Oklahoma and had a great time refing out there. Then I get invited by Timmy Lukanoff to referee in in Missouri, and I enjoy working with Devin Alexander in St. Louis. You mm-hmm. know, and it just jump started my career and opened up opened up a lot of doors for me. I got some increased foreign work. So um, those are the two. One because of the meaning, if you will, to the U.S. of A., to New York City, and to our country, and then one that was especially meaningful to me from a career standpoint. Yeah, and that's also, also I might add, that's also where um, people started referring to you as the fighter's best friend, was that Pavlik taylor fight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Very that cool. That, that, that picked up a lot of steam, and, yep. uh, you know, that comes up at the seminars, what do you look for and what do you do and so forth and so on. So uh, your point well taken, Matt. <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, that was a, a real career boost, if you will. Right, right. So, Steve, you mentioned a lot of the different places that you had the opportunity to um, referee, um, whether it be stateside here in the United States or, or overseas. What's your favorite location to referee in the world? Well, Matt, let's preface it by saying that uh, I say with all humility, I have worked in more states and in more countries than any referee in the history of our game. Yep. And um, I was very, very fortunate in 2011 to have been contacted by the boxing arm called Bigger's Better through the World Kickboxing Network, all affiliated with Eurosport, to become Eurosport's quote-unquote American referee. Mm -hmm. So, as a result of that contract, I worked in no less than 27 different countries. Um, But I have to tell you that um, stateside... Stateside at Madison Square Garden, it's as they say on Broadway, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Mm -hmm. The atmosphere of Madison Square Garden, the history of Madison Square Garden is is exceptional. Right. Then I refer back to working uh, Taylor Pavlik 1 at Boardwalk Hall and then doing... The Super Six with Ward Frock. Oh yeah, at the hall. You know, working with Andre uh, was terrific. And then I think I was the only out-of-state referee invited to work in California in the last, I think, quarter to half century. Yeah. When I did, uh, you know, they're very parochial and, and they want their local referees, as does Nevada. Nevada mm-hmm. has just recently opened up, which is great. But um, I was invited to work in California in 2012 for um, uh, uh, Ward Dawson, oh, which was yeah. a terrific venue in Oakland. Um, in Europe, all the, the venues are really beautiful. Two that stand out. In the early 90s, I had the privilege of working 
in Johannesburg at an event that was the first fight attended by Nelson Mandela upon wow. his release. That's before he was president. Mm-hmm. And it was um, uh, a fight that involved uh, Dingon, Tabella, and I think um, a Rivera. It was a WBO world champion, world championship. Nelson Mandela was there. They it was the ceremony was fantastic with the uh, the African National Congress, and that trip was um, exceptional. I also had the pleasure in 2005 to be one of the first referees to work in Beijing, China hmm. uh, at a packed house at the Capitol Gym in Beijing and that was awesome and uh, again I had the opportunity on several occasions to work before the King of Thailand oh very cool at the uh, yeah, I think it's Rangan Stadium. It's a, a massive stadium where we came in. The officials came in on elephants. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like they, once they, in a lifetime, right, Steve? Yeah, once in a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> and then they bring the king. The king is seated somewhat off with his security, but on couches. They put couches on one side, two sides of the ring, like a corner. Wow. And the king and his entourage with the guards yeah and you can see the king of thailand well he was about 25 feet away from the ring Mm -hmm. so those venues really really stand out um was that venue at capacity in thailand yes oh wow yes yeah yes now a recent vintage very very exciting was working in morocco Mm. um there's Mazatlan in Morocco, and there was a tournament fight. I'm geographically challenged. <laughs> I didn't know that Morocco, I live a half a block from the mighty Atlantic, mm-hmm. in the city of Ventnor City, New Jersey. Right. Here I fly and travel, and I end up in Morocco with Eurosport, and they stage a fight on the beach. And I said, what ocean is this? The guy says, the Atlantic. I said, this can't be the Atlantic. The Atlantic's in my home. How the hell did the Atlantic get over here? (laughs) You know, Matt, I'm geographically challenged. It was the Atlantic. Oh, okay. It was an outdoor venue, and it was built, and it was capacity, and it was a heavyweight tournament, and uh, that was very exciting, and that was just a few years ago. So... Each venue is, is exciting and new, and you we, we were in a very exclusive club, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight game, they know of us. Uh, I'll never forget, I did a, a major world title in Japan, and they had the red carpet out, literally. Yeah. And we get off the plane, and they throw a red carpet out, and a Japanese writer comes up, double S, double S, double S, double S. Oh my God, he knows me. <laughs> so each venue is unique. It's exciting. Uh, you meet boxing people from around the world. And uh, uh, like I said, the Asian jurisdictions are very, very meaningful because 
fighters there are deity. Mm -hmm. They treat them like gods. There are ceremonies before each bout. There are special foods, special... In Thailand, the, the prayer session for the champion is incredible. Mm -hmm. And you got to be quiet. You got to understand their culture and understand that everything is a ceremony leading up to the event. So I hope that answers the question that they, they all have a unique quality. USA is the garden around the world. The Asian venues are very, very special. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like your passport is uh, filled up with stamps, Steve. Oh, yeah, I've got the large one. Yeah. Right? I just renewed, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I believe it. That's that's very, very awesome. <laughs> so, Steve, fight fans have seen you kiss knocked-out fighters on the forehead. Why do you do this? You know, it's just a matter of emotion. You've, you've been through 10, you know, 10 or 12 hard rounds, and it was just my expression to them of the, you know, you build a rapport my my affection for what they've gone through it's an emotional time for me and uh when you're involved in, in fights of that nature uh you know i just sometimes i cannot withhold my expression on uh you're in with a guy like mickey ward mm -hmm. Emmanuel burden we just celebrated the 17th anniversary of that fight and uh, we were honored all three of us were honored together uh, last week in Manchester, New Hampshire by the longest reigning commissioner in the history of the sport of boxing Bobby Stevens oh. in his 44th year Unreal. as commissioner wow. and he invited Mickey Ward Emmanuel Burton Augustus and Steve Smoger to a ceremony and the night before USA versus Ireland. We were honored in uh, at a venue. There it was a you know, terrific ceremony to see Mickey and Emmanuel after 17 years. They ran the fight and uh, they enjoyed it. They commented on it, and uh, you know that just the emotion uh, after that fight. I just want to express to them my gratitude. It's a sigh of relief. We all got out of there without injury, and uh, we became part of a classic. That, of course, was the 201 fight of the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ward Burton and Hampton Beach. So I guess it would be, from my perspective, a sign of uh, emotion from my end and thanks that we're all safe and out of there. Oh, okay. That makes sense, yeah. Over the course of your career, how have you dealt with negative reactions from the crowd or media directed towards the way you refereed a boxing match? Well, I'm going to be very, very frank with you. Yeah, please. Okay? Yeah. And I mean this, and, and I say it with all humility. I have never had an adverse comment from a fan. Sometimes there's one particular, one or two particular officials will comment that I chew gum. Oh. That, you know, and these are, it's an inspector, for example, I worked the fight in Canada. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, you chew gum profoundly. That's nerves. Yeah. I said, I do that to prevent dry mouth. Right, right. You know, but he found, I don't know what he found with it. I just said, you know. Some people do chiclets, some people do mints, 
I find the chewing motion to be relaxing to me. And Matt, I mean this sincerely. I, I've never had a fan or a corner, much more importantly to me, a corner, criticize the way I handled the outcome of a match. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'm very proud of that. Right, right. The biggest compliment that I receive, and that goes to the fighter friend comment, is that the the hall is empty. You're walking out the door. Of course, the winner is going to give great job, great job, ref. Yeah. It's when the loser comes up and the corner will tell me. Steve, you gave our kid every chance. Right. And I knew I did my job. Right. I've never been, geez, you stopped it too early, or why did you, I mean that sincerely. I guess I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. I've never had fan negative reaction, but I've had horrible press reaction from people I've never known. Yeah, never yeah. Never known these writers. Never known. I think some of it is jealousy from other officials who put them up to it. In fact, I know it on several occasions. Writers I've never met, you know, the kissing referee, or I pat a fighter on the on the can on the way back. My, what does that have to do with the art of referee? Nothing. You know, my personal expression has been criticized by writers. Mm-hmm. I've never met some of these writers, <laughs> and he's doing this. He's too friendly. You know, I can adjudicate and I can do it. You know, I'm not an authoritarian. Mm -hmm. I gain more with, I mean, when you can work with Mike Tyson and, 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 and on two occasions, not a problem whatsoever. Once when he was coming up and once in a WBC eliminator in a foreign country, and yet he pulls no stunts and he acts within the rules. I mean, you know, I think that maybe my manner of uh, trying to control the fight is better on a, not a friendship, but on a respect basis. Yeah. So, media that I've never known, I'll pick up a song and say, Steve, why did they say this and that? You know, um, it, and, and it's disturbing because you don't know the people that are writing it. Mm-hmm. There's really no basis of what they say because they haven't asked me. Right. And again, I take pride in the fact that no fan, oh, I hear, all right, but you know, you, you hear rabbit ears about X or Y or the, and very, very minimal. I, I can't even think of it. But um, uh, breaking, I've never been criticized for breaking too quickly or this or that. And I'm really proud of that. And again, uh, the corners have always said, thank you for giving my... And that comes from your fighter friendly. Yeah, and yeah. And then when you walk in an arena and you pass guy and they're, they're carrying their equipment and they say, you have my fight. That's a compliment before the evening even started. Yeah, yeah, big time. And I said, I don't know the assignments are made, but I wish you luck anyway. Yeah. That's the way out of it. I can't say, look, I know, you know, you want, you know, and I respond. I'm not going to not respond. But to me, that's a compliment that their fighter feels comfortable in my presence. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
It shows that that respect goes both ways, definitely. Exactly. Yep. And as I said, but I've been subject to real, to harsh criticism with people I don't know. But guess what? Guess what? That used to be bothersome, but on but on June eighth, twenty fifteen, my peers and even the media decided that Steve Smoger is the only active referee in the International Boxing Hall of Fame class of 2015. So I guess the media criticism will have to take a back seat yeah, to yeah. the International Boxing Hall of Fame ring that's on my left finger. Yeah, and also, Steve, also I, I'd, like to, I'd like to note also that uh, a lot of members of the media voted to get you in there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it, it, listen, no one of note. Yep. I don't want to mention name, but no one of quality, no major league writer that you can think of. Now, sometimes they've commented on the bout, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other, but they've done it, and they've done it with insight. It's some jerk I've never heard of from some site that I've never heard of, wompom.com. Why did I? And I and I know from whence it comes because people use pseudonyms and hoononyms and whatever. But you know, take it up to the Hall of Fame and tell them that in Canastota. Yeah, we'll take it from there. That's a great point, Steve. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, speaking of your induction into the Hall of Fame in 2015, what was that experience like for you? Well, you know, that that's, that's your, your, first of all, when you're nominated, mm-hmm. that is such an honor. And then to be nominated, then I learned, I called... Uh, a dear friend in the business who is a member, Russell Peltz. Yep, out of Philadelphia. Out of Philadelphia. And I said, Russell, you know, what's it like? He said, well, Steve, this is nomination now. I found that I was nominated. He said, the good thing is, once you're nominated, you stay on the ballot for a minimum of three years. Oh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And I said, you know, there's been a wave... uh, Mills got in, Richard got in, um, Joe Cortez got in. I said, you know, maybe they'll realize there's referees east of the Mississippi. <laughs> east, maybe that work in a place called Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe they'll discover that Canastota, New York, is in the same state with New York City, New York, because there was a rash of West Coast or Vegas. I shouldn't say what Vegas. Yeah. That that may not have ever worked in the garden. Right. You know what I'm saying? I said, of course, Joe did. He's a native New Yorker, but I don't think Mills ever worked in the garden. Nothing comes to mind, Steve, that of him and, ever working there. And I don't think Richard ever worked in the garden. So same with him. Yeah. A lot of my friends said, Steve, you got a shot. You got a shot. Then it was relaxation. You're nominated, Matt. No concern. No, 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 no thought that I'd be a first ballot guy. Yeah. Then I get the call, and it's just, it's amazing to go to the hallowed halls, see who your name is associated with, 
see your plaque go up and know that you will be there ad infinitum. Know that you're the 11th referee in the history of the world with all the referees around the world. I mean, for example, there are 40 referees licensed in New York alone. Mm-hmm. Then you have your rep New York, New Jersey. So to be the 11th referee and the only active one in the hall is exceedingly, exceedingly meaningful. Right. Um, the only problem is as you continue to work, I have the hall on my shoulders. Oh, yeah. Now you go in and I have the added pressure. I forget about it once the bell rings, but leading up, I'm as nervous now, if not more, than I was 35 years ago. Oh, I can imagine. You, know, you go in and you make a, a he's in the Hall of Fame, he stopped it, he do. So you you really have the, you know, I remember talking with Joe Cortez, he said this is, in, for him it was the appropriate time to retire. He said he didn't want to tarnish the Hall. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to do X and do Y. And, I, and he says, Stevie, just know when, like to be when to say when. Right. You know, I feel that I still have some mileage left on the tires. It's a great impetus for me to be ready to stay in shape to run around with these 20-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's my incentive while I was on the treadmill this morning and on the boardwalk the day before and so forth. It's a great incentive to stay in shape. You want to look well and you want to perform because no matter, you cut it anyway, Matt, Every referee has two human lives in their hands when the bell rings. Right, right. So, uh, other than the added pressure, uh, I, I I think it's my motivation to do everything I can to stay sharp and stay relevant. Steve, do you have any other goals that you'd like to accomplish, like in your boxing career before you retire? No, I, I tell you, it, it, it's just what we just said, Matt. Yeah. To stay relevant, uh, the excitement never ceases, Matt. Here's what I mean. This is the beauty of the game. Even at this veteran stage of my career, Mm -hmm. I get a call from the great state of Kentucky. Okay? Yeah. They're having the the Jose Suleiman welterweight tournament the end of April. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was recommended to their commission that I be invited to work. So I said, of course, I'm honored. I'm absolutely honored. So I'm like a rookie. (laughs) I've got to go make an appointment with my primary care, go through a whole physical, send in my, my, my qualifications, fill out the form. Thankfully now, Kentucky's very modernized. And uh, I can file everything via computer. Right. And all I had to do, the only thing that had to be, um, I could scan it to my doctor's office, scan the medical. And uh, Monday I received my, here I am a vet receiving my Kentucky box professional boxing referee license with an assignment scheduled at the end of April. I mean, it's just exceedingly exciting, you know. Yeah, at yeah. At this stage, it's just, it's just to stay relevant, continue to work as long as I feel I can protect the fighters and be worthy of the sport. 
and worthy of uh, entering the ring as the third man. Wow, yeah. Steve, what advice would you have for someone who may be interested in becoming a boxing referee? My advice, first of all, I'll never forget when Commissioner Larry Hazard took over initially in New Jersey in the mid-80s, he called a meeting of all the referees. Mm-hmm. And it was a seminar and so forth, an introduction, and he said, if you think this is a part-time job, there's the exit to your right. While you all have to earn a living and you all have families to support, refereeing is a full-time job. You must prepare yourself to be ready. And my, you know, my, my advice would be the fighters train, you must train. You must set a regiment that fits your schedule and you must dedicate yourself to your craft. Mm-hmm. The art of refereeing is judgment and movement. And you have to be in condition to stay with these young men and women today in the ring. So, first and foremost, I was on the amateur level, Matt, eight years. Wow. 74 to 82. While I was in college and even entering law school, I affiliated. I went to law school in in Washington, Mm D.C. at the George Washington University National Law Center. And I trained at their local armory with their local amateur boxing federation. So even in law school, when I was done my studies, at least four to five times a week, I was in the gym in D.C. And the same to this day, my home gym is the Atlantic City Pal. Yeah. So it's, you must train and stay sharp for your craft and just be ready be ready at all times for your assignment. It is affiliate with a local, uh, I guess it's a local, uh, uh, I think they call them local LCBs, amateur boxing programs. Stay ready and stay fit. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a recent update, um, This is. I think you're going to find this very interesting. Oh. Uh, we all right with time as far oh, as yeah. the program? Oh, yeah. Yeah, please, Steve, yeah. This you're going to like. Um, about a year and a half ago, I get a phone call from a very dear friend. In fact, Mickey Ward's manager and the promoter of the Hampton Beach boxing shows that went on for eight years in New Hampshire. Al Valenti, and he says, Steve, Al is a special, special projects coordinator with the USA Boxing Program, uh, the Amateur Boxing Program. And he said to me, Steve, we're floating the idea of creating an alumni association for USA Boxing. It's akin to a Hall of Fame. Right. But we're not going to utilize that terminology. We don't want to be seen as cringing or imposing on the International Hall in Canastota. But all of the major players today in our boxing program uh, all came up in some fashion through our amateur programs. The 
the, the, the Ali, the Tyson, the Leonard's, they all, you know, Muhammad. That's why I'm excited about Kentucky to see yeah. the actual gym where he began in Louisville at his museum. So he says, Steve, the of course, of course, of course, the accent will be on our fighters, on our Olympians, the 76 team, this team, all our Olympics, anyone ever affiliated can become a member. There's no real... If you fought in USA Boxing in any capacity, you're eligible for membership. Oh, okay. I said, geez, that's great. He says, and of course the accent is always going to be on the fighters. I said, great. And I said, Al, what can I do? He says, well, along with the fighters, you must have administrators and you must have officials. And he says, at our board meeting, we believe that you are the poster boy for what amateur development can lead to, and then, if you so choose, how your development can mirror the fighters that you officiate. And I said, how so? He says, well... We've checked your records. You were, when I was called USAABF, United States of America Amateur Boxing Federation, mm-hmm. the ABF. I was affiliated in Philadelphia with Woody Marcus, who's still active today. So the bottom line is, he said, we've seen that you're a member from the 80s, then you turned pro. Then you made the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame in 1997. Then you made the Philadelphia Boxing Hall of Fame in 2013. Then you made the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame in 2014. Then you made the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2015. Then you made the the newly created Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame. In 2017. Yeah, just last year. began with USA Boxing, and then you were honored to the highest level of the sport. So we would like you to represent all officials and join our board as the officials representative. Of course, I said yes, and they invited me to Salt Lake City in December of last year where we had our inaugural hall and we just had three functions in New England during USA we we, we, uh, schedule our functions and our sign-ups at international and national championship events Mm -hmm. so uh, it's available at USA Boxing Online Anyone that was that came through the program is eligible to register, and uh, I'm honored to be on that board. And you know, Matt, um, it's been a it's been a, a how should I say a, a reentry for me. I haven't been to an amateur show in New Jersey. You had to make a selection. If you go pro, you don't you cannot do amateur. Uh, Our brothers and sisters in Texas, not so. Uh, Under Mark Calloy, you can do both. Oh, okay. You can 
you can wrestle on the amateur level. And when a pro show comes to San Antonio, and they're a very active state, Mark and Rafael Ramos and friends of mine, they can do both. Uh-huh. Whereas in New Jersey, when I left the amateur ranks in 82, my first amateur show was in Salt Lake City in 2017. So that's quite a hiatus. Yeah. And of course, I was a board member attending the series Ireland versus USA the first two weeks of March in New England. So it's nice that I go back now and I see aspiring referees. But guess what? They're thrilled to remain on the amateur level. They love being in the formative stated, stages of a fighter's career, both men and women. Mm-hmm. And then some choose the AIBA, which you must be in order to do Olympic work. And some just are not that, um, you know, there, there isn't a big exodus to turn pro. Yeah. I, I was surprised. Yeah, that is surprising. They want to stay on the amateur level. Now, some voiced, you know, some that I like that. I said, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like working the fights that we discussed. So uh, some show an inclination to turn. Others are very happy on the amateur level. And apparently, through their local, I think it's their local boards, they get a lot of work. Yeah. I didn't realize the amount of amateur shows that go on in our country uh, on a monthly basis. Yeah. I. You know, it's funny, Steve. I, I was just saying to myself the other day, I. it's it's amazing how some you'll see, like, the results from amateur shows, especially in this area, like New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. And I'll, I'm fairly involved in the boxing scene. And some of these shows, like, I never hear about. But there's a ton of them that go on in the Tri-Sit area alone. No question about it. And yeah. These, these guys have been involved for years. Names come up. I think Dan Shannon's very, very prominent. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, Henry Haskup is very, very prominent. Yeah. He's the president of the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame. Yep, very and, good man, yep. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting the USA Boxing President, John Brown, oh. and Al Valenti, the special, the special projects coordinator. And they are so focused on 2020. And it's just great to be in their presence. They are really fine-tuning the program so the USA can be strong, you know, have strong representation at the Olympics. So it was an eye-opener for me. I've been to two events since being uh, nominated and accepted or becoming a board member of the USA Boxing Alumni Association. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's terrific to watch them, you know, in Salt Lake, they had three rings, and you want ring A, ring B, ring. It's amazing what they do. Yeah, they coordinate this stuff. You know, I'm a one, I'm a one ring kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that I just wanted to add that that's and uh, that keeps me vibrant and relevant and so forth and so on. So that just you know, there's new aspects every day, and to, to again. It's items like this that keep me active, seeing these young fighters and just want to be, I want to be, the the sport has done so much for me Mm -hmm. in every way. I want to truly give back in any way, shape or form that I can. And it's still a kick. Nothing in my public life 
even compares or mirrors getting in with two fine-tuned athletes and seeing them go at it hammer and tongue. Yeah, that, that says a lot too, Steve, because um, obviously you're a retired Air Force officer, and on top of that, you had a long legal career, so that really says a lot. Yeah, you got it. Very cool. And to still be relevant and get calls and be active um, of late, um, I used to work, do a lot of work when he was alive with Dean Chance and his international boxing association Mm -hmm. when dean unfortunately passed in 2015 the organization was involved in uh, estate for a while but it's now resurfaced and i'm starting to work with them and they're sending me out to various venues and and that's exciting to be involved in championship level boxing on on that note so i i really have no complaints i just want to stay as active and as relevant as I can. Awesome, awesome. Steve, is there anything else you'd like to say to my listeners? Well, let me tell you something. We alluded to it before, Matt. The fan base has been terrific. Mm -hmm. Everywhere I go, every stadium, I'm greeted with a lot of of respect. The fans will come up, they'll want my autograph, take a picture, they'll remember certain fights, they'll thank me for allowing the fight to go on, Apparently, not only is it a, a fan, a fight friendly, fighter friendly, it's fan friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never, I've never had a fan tell me, "Geez, you stopped it too late." Uh, really, they said, "Thank you for giving the fighters an opportunity." When we see you in there, we know the fighters are going to be given every opportunity. So, I want to thank the fans for their years of support. As I said, I've always had great support. Some of the media, whatever, that hasn't been, you know, very minimal in light of, excuse me, in light of my blessing to be inducted in 2015, but the positivity from the fans has been great. Excuse me, man. Oh, bless you. And I'm very grateful. Very well said, Steve. Thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure. Just let me know when we go to press, Matt. All right, Steve. Sounds great. Thank you.